I love Jesus. I want to make sure that's out there first. I'm so grateful uh, that he loves me, so grateful that he forgave me, I'm so grateful that he gave me second chance, third chance, hundredth chance, millionth chance. I'm so grateful that he's given me real life, that's not just everyday ho-hum life, but real life. I'm so grateful for the privilege uh, to be able to preach the gospel. So grateful for the privilege to lead a church. Uh, Terry and I have been up in Placerville for 16 years, and we are absolutely still on our honeymoon. We love it. We love it. We love every day. Uh, we love what God's doing. Uh, we've had good times and bad times on the outside, uh, but it's always a privilege to serve him and to uh, love him and to honor him. And so... I got some stuff I want to share today, and it's going to be actually quite a lot, so I'm going to talk to you about that. Uh, I couldn't do anything that I do without the help, the power, the presence of Almighty God working through me. So what we were just ministering to uh, today, when you've come to the edge, when you've come to the edge of the cliff, the end of your strength, the end of your, your ingenuity, the end of your uh, logic, the end of your strength, everything, and then God says, okay, I want you to take another step. Then you know that you know that you are operating in his power, his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit working in and through you, and it's not you. Because I'm tired of me coming out of me. Me coming out of me is going to screw people up. That's my biggest prayer on Sunday morning. Lord, help me not mess people up today. Help Jesus to come out of me today. Uh, because if it's just me and in my own strength, uh, the fruit is not good. So uh, our mandate, preaching the gospel everywhere and making disciples and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded us, you know, it's one thing to teach people to obey God's commands, uh, to teach them God's commands. It's another thing to teach them to obey God's commands. That's a big, there's a big difference. I teach my kids to brush their teeth. It's another thing to get them to want to brush their teeth, to own it, uh, teach our kids to do their chores and, and homework and those kind of things. And so either it's a list of things to do or it's something that I take ownership in and I want to do. And so the things that God's called us to do, if they're just a list, yeah. if it's just a rule, then we're back into this legalism thing again. And I want to walk in freedom. And so one of my favorite cartoon characters, if not the favorite, Charlie Brown. Right here. You can come up look at this later. This is one of my favorite ones. Lucy and Charlie are walking down the street. Lucy says, I can't think of that word. She goes, there's one certain word that describes your personality, Charlie Brown, but I just can't think of what it is. And he goes, Pah. She goes, that's it. <laughs> Look, he says, don't tell me, uh, blah, that, that I am. Don't tell me that I'm blah. I know I'm blah. She goes, well, then... There's still hope for you, Charlie Brown. If you recognize this in yourself, then that's the first step up from Blodham. And he goes, Blodham? And then she, he goes, how can anyone ever like someone, like someone like me as blah as I am? And she goes, 
Please don't despair, Charlie Brown. Maybe there's a girl somewhere in the world who is just as blah as you. Maybe you'll marry her. And then maybe you'll raise a whole flock of blah kids. And then maybe they'll go out and marry some other blah kids. And he runs away going, ah, like this. I just love Charlie Brown and Lucy. They're just uh, very real there. Here's what I think. I believe that most Christians are not living in the fullness of God's grace, his promised help, or the abundant life Jesus spoke about. I think it's about time we did, don't you? I don't want to live a mediocre life. I want to live tapping into the power and the presence of Almighty God so that I can do what he's called me to do in his way, not my own way. So too many believers are trying to live their life going up a down escalator. Do you feel like that sometimes? Work, 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 and it's work. Yes, you can go up a down escalator. When I was a kid, we did it all the time, right? Not so much anymore. I haven't done it in a while. But it takes a lot of work. And when you fall down in a heap of despair, you find that you're at the bottom again. But when you tap in to what God has given us himself, you can actually get tired sometimes and fall down and depend on him, and you've just gone a little bit further. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk today about the Holy Spirit, and uh, I want to encourage you a couple things. This is out of my, out of my character as a teacher and a former teacher. Some of my students are in this class. Some of my former employees are in here today. And, and uh, I'm so privileged to be able to speak to you guys. Don't take notes today. There's going to be way too much. I sent the notes out to a few of my friends here. Raise your hand if you got the notes today, if you checked your email. About seven or eight of the guys. Uh, just ask around or email me, steve uh, at westsideinfo.com, uh, and I'll send you the notes. I'll be happy to. Uh, but if God tells you something while we're sitting here, then write that down. Don't, don't let that slip through. Uh, but this thing about receiving the Holy Spirit is actually a command. John 20, the Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That is not a suggestion. That is a command, a command of Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. But he said, wait, you know, wait. Don't go out ahead of him. Let him go before you. So wait. And so then in Acts chapter 4, or uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, wait, you know, John baptized with water, but just in a few days you will be baptizo, that's the Greek word there, fully immersed, fully dunked, fully imbued with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, but they're not for you to know, but you will receive power, the dunamis power of God. You'll receive that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So baptism, come, come upon, fall upon, all those are, are synonymous. That's the same thing. 
and you'll be my witnesses, my martuses. You know what that is? The Greek word for witness is martus. It's martyr. You will be my people that go out and die for me, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So the purpose of being full of the Holy Spirit is to live a life that glorifies Jesus and have boldness in our witnessing, that's the power to die, and to live godly, victorious, fruitful lives. I love what Francis Chan said in his book, The Forgotten God. If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Sadly, that's true in far too many places. Paul tells us, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that that's present tense and ongoing. It's like a gas tank. You've got to keep on filling it. And then Ron said yesterday, why? Because Christians leak. And we really don't want us coming out of us. We want the Holy Spirit. We want Jesus coming out of us. So, number one, the Holy Spirit. There's a little bit of difficulty in describing Almighty God with our finite minds. Uh, so most of us have a statement of faith, something like this. We believe there is one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So persons uh, is probably not the best word out there, but I don't know of one that's really better. They're equal in, in substance, but different in subsistence. So it's difficult to explain the infinite with our finite minds. Uh, and here's what we can say, the Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son, but the Son is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Dudley Daniel says, theology is man's attempt to explain the inexplicable. So, we just have to be at peace with that. I think it was John Wesley said, how can we explain that there's only one light in this room, yet three candles? And so... We just, have to, we just have to just be, just trust there. Uh, number two, he, the Holy Spirit, is active in our lives. Uh, there's so much scripture on this. Uh, whenever we study scripture, we want to make sure that we're approaching scripture in humility. We don't, we don't know everything. We're not it. We're part of it. Uh, we want to read from the text, not into the text, not take our favorite little things and, and read into the text. And... And uh, we want to make sure that, um, that we're uh, applying what, what he's giving to us. And uh, uh, we, we want to make sure that it's in context, uh, find out what the context is. And, and one of the best things is the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. And so what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Uh, A, we're going to fly through this. I remember I said you can't take notes on this. The Holy Spirit's involved in the new birth. Peter said to them, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. B, he'll lead you. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. And he'll lead you into all truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. Beware... When someone says they're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, but they're acting contrary to the Word of God. And the reason, if, if even young people, if you haven't read through the Bible or studied through the whole Bible, but you've grown up in church and you've heard it enough, you know in your knower that something's not right. 
All right? That's because you've had an exposure to the truth of God's word, and the Holy Spirit will lead you into truth. And then the Spirit sanctifies. Sanctification, that's being, that's the ongoing process of being saved. We were saved. Justification, you've got to get that one. You've got to get that one. If you've said yes to Jesus, young people, and then tomorrow you mess up, or what the Bible calls sin, you don't have to start over again. You have to just uh, say, God, I... Truly repent. I authentically repent. I'm not doing this just to play games with you. I'm really sorry that I did that. Stand up and keep going. Because you're not going to add to anything that Jesus did on the cross by feeling bad about it. Oh, I have to feel guilty for at least a day before I can get back up and start serving him again. No, you're adding to the sacrifice that Jesus already made. He finished that. So you are saved. But we have this thing about being saved. This is the ongoing process of becoming more Christ-like, not so that he'll love us, but because he loves us, all right? So, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, holiness is not something we're called upon to do in order that we may become something, but it's something that we are to do because of what we already are. The Spirit convicts. When he comes, Jesus said he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. He doesn't bring condemnation. The Holy Spirit draws you to God, draws you to the family, not repel you. If you feel like, I want to just get out of here, this, that's usually the enemy. The Holy Spirit says, listen, listen, press in, get closer to me. Come on in. This is the safe place. The Holy Spirit teaches us. We're to impart his words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. A.W. Tozer said, the Bible is a supernatural book and can be understood only by supernatural Aid. We have a responsibility here to get into his word and see what his word says. The Holy Spirit purifies. Purity, that's a tough one. You know, purity means pure, which is 100%. Pure. So if it's a hot, sweaty day, and there's a big glass of water up here, big jug of water, and the condensation's on the outside, 100% pure, and I go, <laughs> here, it's 99.9% pure. <laughs> Come on now. 99.9 is an A plus, right, in school? How many of you husbands want your wives to be 99% pure? Well, Jesus wants his bride to be 100% pure. The Holy Spirit helps us in that respect, builds confidence. I, J, the Holy Spirit enables us, helping us to do things that humanly are impossible. Have you ever laid hands on, on somebody who's sick or injured and God heals them instantly? I have. And I've laid hands on people and, and they got worse. But still, I'm going to keep praying for people. But God does that, not me. He helps me notice things. He enables me in this respect. I, I, the older I get, the weirder I feel that I am. And so I used to hide it really well, but just ask my wife. She'll say, he's not kidding. So, I mean, I notice things. I notice that the ceiling's pine, but most of the trim here is oak. And I notice that the two signs on the stage here are on the wrong side. And, and I notice that I notice that the the carpet was probably replaced, but they didn't do the outside. They just did the inside. But there's things that I... 
There's things that I would rather notice. I would rather notice the tear in somebody's eye. I'd rather notice the heartache that they're experiencing. I'd rather notice the lostness they have. And, and right now there's people in here that are experiencing that. And by the Holy Spirit, it's not me. I notice the other things. The Holy Spirit helps me to notice. He enables me to do what is normally impossible. Let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit. This is a big deal. And so, um, understanding the gifts of the Spirit, it, we need to have a little bit of that foundation that we just you know, took 17 minutes on. We need, we need a Bible background of who he is. He's almighty God, but he's come to help us out. And so, I was raised in an evangelical church. Well, most of you know I was a foster kid, and I uh, didn't know my dad, and I, I, uh, my mom died when I was five, and, and I went around from foster home to foster home with my two sisters, and finally, a pastor and his wife with their five kids took us in in Santa Barbara, California, and raised us as their own. That's my family to this day. And uh, I'm so grateful for that second chance in life. And I'm so grateful that I grew up uh, hearing uh, the Word of God. My dad loved Jesus. He, he wanted nothing more to be a missionary, but he didn't qualify. His, his eyes weren't so good. And his friends were those five. He went to Moody and, and Wheaton with those five guys that were killed down in Ecuador and knew them. And I grew up with tales of missionaries and tigers and snakes and, and, and going into the jungles and telling people about Jesus and uh, but it was not spirit-filled. In fact, I remember the first time I ever heard anything about the gifts of the Spirit was speaking in tongues, and it was at a conference where a missionary said, you stay away from that because you're speaking by the devil. That's my first, you know, nine years old or something. And then I remember when we were on vacation, I was 10 or 11, and uh, we always had to go to church on vacation. And so... Uh, we went to this little Pentecostal church, and it was Pentecostal. And my siblings and I, we were like, you know the little first little emoticon on your, on your iPhone? It was like, like this. And uh, my dad was a very gentle, he was a pastor, you know, and a very gentle guy. He went and talked to the pastor afterwards, and he was just asking a couple questions. You know, why do you do this, do this? And then when we get in the car, he just like put his hands on the wheels and like put his hands. He goes, I don't get it. He goes, I don't mind that they do that. He goes, but I just don't like that attitude of we've got it and you don't. So those are some of my first experiences. And then uh, growing up in Awana and memorizing, I always won all the contests. I've, I've got like 600 of uh, King James Version uh, verses. I'm bilingual. Uh, uh, and, and so I can, a lot of scripture memorized uh, in that. And, and then uh, we were exposed, we had the privilege of being exposed to the Jesus movement in Southern California in 1970. And, and uh, you know, you had Chuck Smith and John Wimber, and, and there was a great mixture of the word and the spirit. And by the way, when they split up, that was, that's a perfect example of you have word over here and spirit over here. And, uh, but the youth group started getting filled with the Spirit. 
at our Baptist church, and the deacons pulled my dad aside and said, this. but he stood up for us. He said, uh, listen, they're not into sex and drugs and, and partying and all that stuff. They love Jesus, so you leave them alone. So I appreciate that. Even though he never actually received it, even though when he was later in life, he stood up at a charismatic church and he stood in the middle here for healing, for prostate cancer, and uh, coming down the line, he says, I'm not falling, I'm not falling, I'm not falling, I'm not falling. Next thing you know, he looks at the ceiling and God healed him of prostate cancer. So, uh, but anyway, that was sort of my young upbringing. And then uh, ministering with... Uh, Jesse Mason, one of my best friends in the world for almost 20 years, and, and I would call him the polar opposite of what I was raised in over here. He was birthed in the Latter-day Reign uh, movement of the late 40s, and, and um, let me tell you, it, it, this is a challenge if you've pretty much been birthed into and only have been exposed to one stream in your life. It's a challenge. Just be aware of it. There are other people out there who love Jesus too. And they're doing the best they can before God in fear and trembling. And uh, we, we have to have this, we are of Christ. We have to have that. Paul exhorted us uh, in that area. So, uh, Jesse, I would call him Mr. Holy Spirit. I called him a few years ago, not, before, not long before he died. And I said, Jesse, I'm just... I, I don't do Holy Spirit stuff the way other people do it. And is it really real? Is it like, do I need to do that? And he said, well, describe how, what, what you do at your church. And I said, well, I teach my people that when we gather together, he's there. So the service doesn't start at 9 or 11. It starts when the first two people get here. And it ends when the last two people leave. And I teach them that we don't have to sing three fast songs and then pause for a minute, look around, and then go to a couple slow songs for the Holy Spirit to move. Um, but the Holy Spirit can be engaged with every hug, with every hello, with every hand on his shoulder and, a, and three people praying over in the corner. And we see people healed and we see people restored. And we see the Holy Spirit move. And, and, and I say, people are, are getting encouraged. And, and they're strengthened. And, and they receive comfort when they're here. And Jesse goes, whoa, wait a minute. He goes, 1 Corinthians 14. He goes, you just described the definition of the Holy Spirit's working in the prophetic. And um, got ahead of myself there. So please don't get caught up in style. Man, oh man. There's something It's very interesting. My dad, who loved Jesus, would freak out if he saw this in worship. He could not understand how we could actually be worshiping the same God he was. Uh, but those are styles. That's culture. Do you know what Martin Luther, John Wesley, and Charles Spurgeon all had in common? They lived about 100 years apart, and they had very different theologies. You know what they all had in common? They would not allow musical instruments in their churches. Spurgeon, just a little over 100 years ago, 
recognized as one of the greatest preachers ever lived. Preached for 20 years to thousands of people every, every week at the Metro, Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle in London would not allow musical instruments in worship. Martin Luther <laughs> called the organ a device of the devil. And John Wesley said that I have no objection to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither seen nor heard. That's culture. And yet we think, oh, how can I worship without music? Uh, Don't let your preferred style attach itself to some sort of moral connotation where you're better than they are because you do this. And so we've got to be very careful about that. So, like Paul... I want to know God. I want to be full of his Holy Spirit. I want to enjoy him and all the gifts he has to offer me. I want to be totally enraptured with him. I don't want to hold back one bit. However, anytime I give preeminence to emotional experience over and above the clear teaching of his word, I open the door to potentially harmful doctrines. So... He gave us a brain and a heart. Let's use them both. So the gifts that he gives us, uh, Paul wrote to Corinth, a church that was totally out of control. Um, He said, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good, for to one is given through the spirit of... uh, Uh, Through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another, working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits, another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one, each person, individually as he wills. So... Then he goes on into 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, all right? There's 1 Corinthians 12, where we just read, then the love chapter. It's centered on Jesus. It's centered on the love of God. Without the love of God, without Jesus, all this stuff of the Spirit means nothing. He continues on in uh, chapter 14, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be speaking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Now, Paul is talking to a people that understood that he was going back and forth between about four or five different ways of speaking in tongues. Number one, we can speak uh, mysteries between our Spirit and the Father. Another one, we can... um, we can uh, worship him and, and speak uh, tongues, and, and we're actually getting downloads of revelation. If that's ever happened to you, that's awesome. It's like a plug-in, like this, and all of a sudden you just get a flash of what God wants you to. It's because you've been worshiping him, praying in the spirit. Uh, you can pr- uh, pray in tongues um, to build up your ho- uh, most holy faith, like Jude says in Jude verse 20. Uh, build up your most holy faith by praying in the spirit. Or you could speak a message to the church in tongues, and that must have an interpretation. That's different. They're not all just one thing. So you could be worshiping in here, 
praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. I heard a lot of people that doing that today. And, um, but it's not a message to everybody. But once you get up here in this room with the microphone and start praying in tongues, then it goes through the protection. Here it's the, the team here, whoever's leading. There's a protection. There's gatekeepers here. There's things done decently in order. And there must be an interpretation. That's what Paul's very clear here. This is very prescriptive, not just descriptive. So um, here it is, verse 3. But the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So if you leave this week and you're strengthened or encouraged or comforted, it wasn't the fancy building that we're in or the great preaching. It was because you were touched by Almighty God. The Holy Spirit worked in you. That's the prophetic working out in us. The person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying. So the whole church will be strengthened. So let's summarize, brothers and sisters. When you meet together, one will sing, one will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what's said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, so someone can, must interpret what they say. It's not a translation, by the way. It's an interpretation. Sometimes they speak in tongues for ten minutes, and somebody gets up there and says, Jesus loves you. Ah, that doesn't fit. No, it's an interpretation. <laughs> they must be silent. If no one's present to interpret, they must be silent in the church meeting, speaking in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy and listen. Let the others evaluate what is said. The whole church is responsible for knowing in their knower that that's God speaking. There's a general consensus. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues, but be sure that everything is done properly in order. Isn't that great? That's, that's very good input for us. I don't see any place in here that says that is done with. So, A, gifts are given by God. Gifts don't come from us. It's not because we're talented. We might be talented, but it didn't originate with you. You might be very athletic, but God gave you that strength. You might be very technical and intellectual. God gave you that brain. All gifts come from it. Your parents are gifts. The home you, you grew up in, your, your upbringing, your living in America is a gift from God. All these are, are good. And, if we're sharp, it's because we're allowing him to shape us. And B, gifts are given by God for us to serve one another. They're not exactly for your personal benefit. First um, Peter 4, 10, and 11, every one of you has a gift, a unique gift. And that means that you don't have just one gift. It means your package of giftings that God gave you, that the Holy Spirit gave you. Maybe they were imparted by laying on of hands. Maybe it's your upbringing, your education. All these things make who you are. You are a gift. Each one of you has a special gift that's unique. Nobody else has it. Nobody else can be you. And we're to use that to serve others so that God gets the glory. Uh, there's, there's a message there too. So what gifts are we talking about here? 
I'm going to talk about three kinds today. First of all, charisma gifts. Uh, that's a divine gratuity. God gave it to us, a spiritual endowment. Uh, uh, it's a free gift. These, these are things that we're born with. Uh, it has to do with our temperament and our personality. Uh, these can be things that we've learned, or they can be given by God. Um, Paul uh, talks to Timothy about the gift by the, that was given to you by the laying out of hands. When I was first set in as an elder, they laid hands on me and, and said, God, give him the gift of administration. I don't know if they knew, but I was the worst administrator in the world. Uh, and so since then, I've had a gift of administration. I attribute that to a gift from God, directly from God. So in Romans chapter 12, there's a list of them. There's, it's pretty common. It's seven of them. Prophesying. Those are people who speak the truth. They can only tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God, even if you die from it, from them telling you the truth because they speak black and white. Uh, that's a gift to us. We need to receive that. Uh, there's teaching. There's giving. There's mercy. Serving. Uh, now, this serving isn't the same kind of serving that we all use our gift to serve. This is the people who love getting their hands dirty, getting in the back room and, and doing it. And they, you know, they just love that. And then, then there's encouragement or ex exhorting. Terry's a great exhorter. Uh, then there's the gift of leader, leadership. And so there's a few other references to charisma gifts. Uh, the word gift, the Greek word is charisma. There's speaking, hospitality, helps, administration. Young people, you're going to love this. Celibacy. That's a gift. Creative skills. Uh, those things are gifts given uh, by, by God so that we can use them. And here we are at 1 Peter 4.10. God's given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So here's some frequently asked questions about these charisma gifts. This, these charisma gifts are who you are and your natural abilities. And people see things in you. Uh, who has them? Everyone. Everyone has charisma gifts. How do I recognize them? This one's fun. Are you grumpy? or energized while you're using them. It's a good way to tell. It's a good, good little test. Two people in the kitchen, I've seen this many times. One person is like, like this. And the other person, hoo, 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 I just love this. And, you know, like this. Are you, what energizes you? What drains you? That's the charisma gifts. And then the Bible says, use them well. Faithfully administer them. And, to, and Paul says Timothy, uh, to Timothy, don't neglect them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken of you when, you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. What do you have to do sometimes? You have to fan them into flames. Stir that up. Some of you have some gifts in here that you need to stir up. Some of you have a, a, a brilliant musical ability that God gave you when you were born, but never once did you ever study or take a lesson or practice. It's just lying dormant. And if you have that like, little desire back in the back of your mind to do that, fan that into flame. Take some lessons. Get out there. Study. Whatever it is. Then we have doma gifts. These are Greek words, charisma, doma, phanerosis. They're Greek words that are all translated as gift in English. Don't you just love that? Uh, so this is a present or a gift. Now, doma gifts are people gifts to the church. We see that in Ephesians 
chapter 4, we see the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. The purpose of Doma gifts is very clear, to equip the saints for the work of service. So who are the saints? If you have bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're a saint. You don't have to be a dead person and have three miracles happen to you. You're a saint if you're a Christ follower. All right? When were they given? They were given when Jesus ascended. That's why they're called ascension gifts. And how long will we have these? You just have to read this in Ephesians 4. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And the third type of gift... Uh, I don't want to get too much into that. Those are pe- the, the Doma gifts are people to the church. They're gifts to the church uh, to impart apostolicity, uh, the prophetic, evangelism, those kind of things. We've heard that a lot. Then we have the phanerosis gifts. Uh, that's what we see here in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. These are manifestations. Um, they're an expression, like a, a gift for that moment, for that time. That's why you might have prayed for somebody sometime and they were healed and then you prayed for them another time and they weren't. Or you had faith for something and uh, the next time you didn't uh, because they're, they're um, Bill Gothard, I think, used to say decades ago, he said they were drops of grace, uh, gracelets, and uh, just drops of grace from the Holy Spirit. So uh, there's a word of wisdom that is a, a message or utterance of something where you go, man, that was good. What I just told this person, that was good. But if you're depending on the Holy Spirit, if you're like me, when somebody comes up and wants to pray after church, you, you've just preached, you're exhausted, and, and your kind of brain is it's kind of fried, and then, then they, they want prayer and this kind of thing. And my prayer is usually, while I'm looking at them, hand, hand on the shoulder or something, is, oh, Lord, help me, because I don't know what to do. <laughs> Lord, just please give me some wisdom, and then Boom. There it is. That's depending on the Holy Spirit. When you're empty, uh, allow him to work through you. Then you have the word of knowledge. That one's fun because you know something uh, that you shouldn't know other than by the power of the Holy Spirit tells you something secret. There's somebody here with a pain in the right side right now, and God wants to heal you. There's, there's somebody here who's thinking today about leaving your spouse, and God wants you to get on your knees to repent and ha- allow him to bring healing and restoration uh, to your marriage. What, whatever it is, those are words of knowledge. I love my friend Dudley Daniel. When he was raising his three boys, he told them, I have prayed that God would tell me what you're doing all the time. That's a really good prayer, parents. Your kids will never get away with anything uh, because God will, 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 uh, will share that. So, <laughs> Then there's gifts of healing. Uh, and that could be not only physical but emotional healing. Gifts of miracles. Uh, miracles, gift of healing. You pray for somebody. And, and a week later, they say, you know what, after you prayed for me, just like boom, 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 by the hours. By the next day, I felt it was almost all gone. The next day, that's a gift of healing. A miracle is instantaneous. That's circumventing the laws of nature. I got healed once miraculously. I had back, terrible back pain for weeks, and I was sitting there dripping with sweat in an elder meeting. And one of the guys said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I, I can't even breathe sometimes. And uh, 
I have a very healthy, strong back I've never really had, but that one time I did. And he got, came over and prayed for me, and instantly it was gone. Instantly. So don't tell me that God doesn't heal. Oh, no, that, that went out with Well, I've got a pretty powerful mind then. It's like Oprah Winfrey. If you can think it and believe it, you can become it. All right, so no, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe it's the Holy Spirit. We can have the discerning of spirits. Discern between truth and error. The Holy Spirit helps us to know things uh, when it's not right. When somebody's saying something or whatever, you go, no, that's not right. Or what you're telling me right now, that is not right. And you can have discernment there. The thing about discernment, you got to watch this one because a lot of times God will give you discernment about somebody. Man, that person's really vulnerable to this. So if you go up to them and say, you're going to do this, and they go, they're totally innocent. They're, they're not going to ever listen to any. You, usually, discernment is for your prayer life. Say, God, head that off. Protect them. Watch over them. Come alongside them. Love them. Lead them. Those kind of things. Don't, don't accuse them of something they haven't done. Uh, it's just the Holy Spirit giving you a heads up for prayer. Usually. Not all the time, but usually. Uh, tongues. Tongues are mostly personal. We can speak to God in our heavenly language. We can speak mysteries in the spirit. We can build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We can use it in, as an outlet for prayer when we don't know what to say. We can just cry out. And um, so we can have it also as a, as a message to the church with interpretation. Then we have prophecy. Prophecy in verse uh, four, or 3 in, in chapter 14 encourages, strengthens, and comforts, and it always builds up the church. It's not fortune-telling. It's forth-telling. Reserve that stuff for recognized and trusted prophets. I want you, God wants you to quit your job and move to Idaho, uh, you know, et cetera, that kind of thing. Don't, it, it, youth gather, gatherings, don't let the kids prophesy to a 14-year-old like was prophesied to our 14-year-old daughter. You're going to grow up and be a pastor's wife and you're going to be a missionary, you're going to be in nations around, you're going to have seven kids and you're going to do the, don't, don't do that. Uh, it's not helpful usually and... Uh, But it encourages people. It strengthens them, builds them up. I would like to say this. Many of you are not exercising your gift of prophecy. But especially that you may prophesy to bring strength and encouragement and comfort to people. Then there's the interpretation of tongues. So let's apply this. I always like to say, so what, and then answer that question. We've done a lot of, you know, background and this kind of thing. So first of all, uh, remember that the gifts of the Spirit don't necessarily reflect maturity. Paul was writing to a church that was out of control, and they were extremely immature. That's like handing the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like handing a baby a shotgun. You have lots of power, but very immature use of it. It could be very dangerous. Um, number two, the gifts of the Spirit should be eagerly desired. I, don't you want this, God? Anything you have for me, I want it. 
Whatever you have for me, I'll take it. My name's Jimmy. Take all you give me. All right? Got it? All right. The gifts that God gives you, the supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit, are for the benefit of all. They're not for your personal promotion. I, you know, I laid hands on three people, and they got healed, and one of them was like huge, big one, so I'm going to now do Steve Barr Ministries Incorporated, and I'm going to travel the world and tell this, tell this testimony, and maybe even make a snazzy visit video about it, and, and we're going to go tell everybody, and we'll get the crowds to come and the offerings to come and, and promote this thing, and because of their faith, probably a lot of people are getting healed. Uh, it's not for our own promotion. It's for... Lifting up Jesus. Listen, clear and simple is best. I love that. You should be able to share this in your small groups, in your churches. Clear and simple. Albert Einstein, I think, was said, if you can't explain something, something simply, then you don't understand it. That's what I love about Jesus. He explained the most difficult concepts ever, and he used one-syllable words. Coins and fish and nets, and seeds, and sons. That's what he talks about. So, number four, the whole body can judge manifestations. It's not just in church. It could be in your small group. It could be in your eldership meeting. Uh, we want to judge those. We're all, we're all subject to God's leading. Our timing and our style can be controlled. The spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. Sometimes people go, oh, I just can't help myself. No, you can. Somebody said to me once, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm quenching you. And as, if, you're an, if you're on eldership, you must... Guard and protect the sheep. All right. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. All can judge. People know when there's something amiss. And let me say this. If someone would speak something which is contrary to the truth or the word of God with the Holy Spirit's enabling, the whole congregation should immediately recognize the error. So... Number five, in our meetings, things should be done decently and in order. So, Finally, charisma gifts, I love this, are given by the Father as good gifts to his children. The Doma gifts are good gifts that the Son gives to his bride. And the Phanerosis gifts are good gifts that the Spirit gives to his co-laborers. Aren't you glad that you are well supplied? God's called you to do something. He's given you a mandate to do something. And he's given you, of himself, he's given you the tools to finish uh, what he's called you to do. Luke chapter 11 Jesus says this, you fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, 
Do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask you for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful, earthly, human people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Isn't that amazing? All we have to do is ask, is he your heavenly Father? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you in humility said, God, I repent of my sin and I turn from my ways and I turn to you. Will you please forgive me and be Lord of my life? If you've done that and you're a Christ follower, you're a child of the Father, he will give you the Holy Spirit, not if you do the right things, not if you know everything, but if you just ask. I mean, what father couldn't, a two-year-old comes, I've got grandkids now, and they ask for something? Absolutely, you can have it. If I can give it to you, you can have it. Just don't tell your mother, all right? I'm going to give you, I want to give you good things. And God wants to give you good things. Some of you have a little, little bit of fear, a little bit of fear in here. And you go, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, like make a fool of myself. Listen, God is a gentleman. He's not going to make you do anything. He's not going to take over you like the devil takes over people and inhabits people and makes them do things that they don't even know they're doing. He will come in like, like a gentleman and fill you to the, to, it's like, it's like you, you're, it's like you're, your life is a big Victorian house, and you've invited him into the front room. Here, Jesus, you know, your front room is usually like the cleanest room in the house. <laughs> don't look in my closets. For heaven's sake, don't look in the bedroom closet. Don't look at the garage. But the more we open up doors and say, God, come into every room of my life. Come in and heal. Bring, bring forgiveness. Bring, help me to... Repent of things that, that are in, in closets in secret. I, I want to be totally available for your use so that you can use me well. So we've got a big job to do. We can't do it on our own, our own strength. We can only do it with the help that Almighty God provides. If you would, just hold out your hands and say, Father, just say it to yourself here. Father, I've trusted in you. I've given my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and I desire all that you have for me. You said that if I ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that you would fill me, you would baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would fill us afresh today. For those who have never actually asked you before to fill you with your Holy Spirit, God, fill them right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.